By the grace of God, I am part of the local gang whose spearhead and protectionist is Lillian, who is all funfair worldliness at sixteen. Lillian organises international excursions for a gaggle of kids to faraway, far-flung ranges such as Navigation Road or Jackson's Boat. For a small weekly sub, Lillian arranges everything, and the clued-up boys and girls of Stratford follow her in a trance, for Lillian could be as hard as nails, Susanna York's childy, but with grisly grit, cropped-off mousy hair, suede jacket and tight jeans. Touch her and you might not get your hand back. Yet Lillian is all heart and love, but fearless in the face of foe. Gangs are fashion's passion in Ragamuffin 1971, and some out-of-towners invade our untouchable Longford Park patch. Lillian warns a bookish bully that she can finish him off without actually touching him. Laughing at her, he opens his wastrel mouth wide, and with expert aim, Lillian unleashes a wad of phlegm that scores an impressive bullseye in the back of his throat. Shaken and repulsed, he and his teen firebrands turn tail into the Chalton mist. Firmly, I am under Lillian's wing, and she loves the kids that make up the gang. Thin and lively, she will take a stand against any boy bigger or older, and never once would she hesitate. The one spoiler is Leslie Messenger, who is teeth-grindingly jealous of the attention given to me by the girls, and one afternoon he springs upon me. As Sunday's dullness swarms the park with dingy, dreary, unkillable families. For what will be the second time I floor Leslie, he all bluff and little man threats, yet soft to the touch in the heel of the hammerlock. I do not know where my uppercuts come from, but there they are. An orbit of finishing blows rising from somewhere deep within, overtaking the final push that panics the body into do-or-die strength. It is a vigorous high, but it is not my sphere, and nor do I want it. 1971 brings a partial eclipse at 9.40am, plunging the skies of Britain into 69% blackness. Nanny drops to her knees and prays for salvation at what she is certain is the end of the world. Alas, it is not. No rampantly challenging mind could overlook the lost cultures as mapped out in British film, wherein the restricted horizons of the expendable working class thrillingly show us how British life got to where it is now, in your private modern cuckoo land. A gaslit hallway in a tired lodging house and I am pulled in, with Mum forever fussing about the table setting tea. Distorted by nostalgia, we see in the family and in the local community everything an honest soul might need in order to live out their time on the human gridline, and we see the obvious punishments for anyone who would insist upon more than their lot. In my favourite films of the 1940s, 1950s and 1960s, the working class are usually portrayed as children enacting pointless working-class crimes. We always see the police as adults, representing a conscience for the daft scrubbers in pubs and dance halls, who are not rich, and therefore cannot behave themselves. Decent folk always allow themselves to be controlled by the police, because the police are never known to be either devious or wrong. The labouring class boys of grey flannel are instinctive in their behaviour because they are, in fact, in possession of nothing at all other than instinct. Science and diplomacy are tools unused. The shadowy social films of Lost Sunday Television are Oliver Twist, 1948, in which career criminal Bill Sykes says, There's light enough for what I have to do. London Belongs to Me, 1948. The Blue Lamp, 1950. I Believe in You, 1952. And Sapphire, 1959. In The Painted Smile, 
1962. The statuesque womanhood of comely Liz Fraser attempts to frame an uncomplicated Tony Wicket for the murder of her boyfriend in the recurring British theme of happiness not to be found. In all working-class films of the 1960s, life's winner is the boy with the gleam in his eye, roughs of self-recognition and blessed profiles. They will not accept conservative limits, and their selfish motivations or their crude nerve are both justified by the fact that they give nothing but look everything. By contrast, a Shakespearean saint with a disjointed face is never thought interesting enough for film. In Two Left Feet, 1963, there is the unusual glimpse of hard and pretty Michael...